that is such a huge missed opportunity. And one that I think as a woman, for me anyways, felt like my male peers weren't, they weren't missing out because they weren't hesitant to speak up and they weren't getting talked over all the time. And, and so finding your voice is really a matter of like pushing through. Hey ladies, welcome to the Calm Edge podcast. I'm your host, Brooke. Does it feel like your brain is on overdrive? Maybe you're struggling with spiraling thoughts and feeling like you can't relax. Well, hey, I have a solution for you. I'm a certified hypnotherapist and I help women just like you every single day reprogram their minds to master overthinking and eliminate self-doubt so you can feel calm, confident, and elevated. Let's dive in. Mackenzie Hot has spent 10 years working in financial technology in both LA and New York City and has worked at companies ranging from startups to major banks. She started off in the space by answering customer support calls and doing manual Q&A testing and now leads a cross-functional product team at J.P. Morgan Chase. She also is a hypnotherapy client of mine. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for coming on, Mackenzie. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. So why don't you first just tell us what got you into the finance and tech space? Like, was this something that you always wanted to do as a little girl or you just kind of fell into it? No, I, I would say I did not, um, you know, go to sleep every night as a little girl dreaming of working in finance or technology or both. How I ended up there really is I was looking for a job and an opportunity presented itself to me at a startup. And it sounded fascinating to me to think about how people use their money, what that means to them emotionally, what it means to them practically. And then it's obviously evolved from there. (laughs) So yeah, it was certainly something that I would say happened more by happenstance than by anything else. And I'm so glad that it did. When you went from being in the more task-oriented role, like customer support Mm -hmm. to a leadership role, was that challenging? And what were some of those challenges you faced? Yes, to answer your question directly. (laughs) I think the major challenges going from being like what we often call like an individual contributor to being a people leader is that um, for me, I would say empathy is something that is very important to me. It also is something that I feel very strongly. And so going from being responsible for my own success and the success of the things that I'm working on to then being responsible for the success of other people, what they're working on, their careers is a big responsibility. And sometimes I would say might even feel like a burden in a way, right? Even though it's motivating and rewarding, it still can feel heavy at times. Yeah. And then, you know, I think the other challenges too are finding your voice, finding the right ways to motivate those people, finding the right ways to motivate your leadership or other teams, right? To respond to those people, to work with those people appropriately everything sort of shifts and your mindset shifts. I mean, taking the step from customer service QA to product management was one step, right? But then taking the step to leadership, I think is the big step. That was the major step for me. And then even from there, you know, having a small team to having medium-sized team to having a larger team, those things all matter too. Um, Because coaching, 
coaching other people to be people leaders is sort of like the next evolution of that. And that is also, you know, something that takes a lot of mindfulness and thoughtfulness as well. Yeah. And I know that you and I have talked a lot about being a woman in the tech space. What helped you find your voice as a female leader in, in a male dominated space? Yeah, I think a few things, right? One, realizing that no matter what other people's assumptions are about you, or no matter how worried or scared potentially you're feeling, and like, I feel like that's okay to admit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Through feeling scared or not so confident about what you're about to say or who you're going to say it to, you know, I think realizing that over time you will have more successful moments, successful conversations, successful projects, successful ideas, then you will failures. And so almost it's like conditioning in a way where, where you realize if I don't put my ideas out there, if I don't say the thing, then I'll never know. And you're missing out on opportunities to grow. And that is such a huge missed opportunity. And one that I think that as a woman, for me anyways, felt like my male peers weren't they weren't missing out because they weren't yeah. hesitant to speak up and they weren't getting talked over all the time. And, and so finding your voice is really a matter of like pushing through. It's a muscle whatever that it is. you're practicing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. You just keep showing up, just voice it. And after a while it becomes this automatic practice. Exactly. And, you, and it's you, not the disaster yeah. that you thought maybe it was going to be. And so therefore- yeah it's reinforcing instead of scary. Yeah. So this is a really interesting, and I know you and I've kind of like dissected this topic a little bit because we talk so much about conditioning and hypnotherapy. And you recommended the book to me, Brave, Not Perfect. And the author whose name I'm forgetting off the top of my head, I'll link to it below. She really touches on this idea that little boys are taught to try and fail, take risks. It's totally fine. Skin your knee, right? And then little girls, there's like bubble wrap put around us. We're taught to be perfect, be good, don't fail, right? So there's this level of subconscious conditioning in our adult lives where it can show up in our careers, where just putting ourselves out there at the risk of not being perfect feels like a threat to our sense of selves and our entire career and who we are, right? It feels like death, (laughs) essentially, (laughs) on some subconscious level. (laughs) You're totally right. Exactly. It it feels like the end (laughs) somehow, right? And and the truth is, is like I said before, not doing it, that's the real miss. You know, I also am a firm believer and even in product management, we're all about fast failure. Like that's so important. But the point there is fast, right? And also you can't fail if you don't do anything. Yeah. And living by that motto to increase success, you have to increase your rate of failure. And so essentially failing becomes a habit. You have to be willing to show up and go through the habit of trying and failing before it starts to not feel like such a threat. You almost desensitize yourself to it a little bit, which comes back to what you were saying about speaking up. Right, exactly. And I've been very caught up in my life, not just professionally, but in general, I have been very caught up in what is everyone else thinking, am I doing this right? Am I doing it the way that people expect? Is it perfect? Is it this? And it was not helping me get to where I wanted to be. And it wasn't helping me even be the person that I want to be. And so even 
opening up about that, right, is not something that I would have done five years ago. I would have been like, oh, that's weakness. Like, you can't talk about that. So yeah. I think in a lot of ways, it's practice. Like you said, it's it's a muscle. You have to show up every day and you have to, you know, do it and talk yourself into doing it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. So what do you think are some of the other challenges women in tech are facing today? I think part of the challenge, and like, I am fortunate to have many examples of great women leaders, right? I'm also fortunate to have many examples of great male leaders, to be honest with you, who are allies and are supportive and are there and are helping. But I do still think that part of the challenge sometimes is that we as women are not talking about the obstacles that we're facing. So that might be mm. that sometimes it's difficult to get the mic on a call is like how I like to put it, right? So if I'm surrounded by 10 men and one other woman, if she's more senior than me I, and I know her, I might sometimes send her a ping on the side and be like, I have been trying to talk if there's any way that you can help me out. Uh, <laughs> or if there are men on the call that I am comfortable with, I might ping them on the side and be like, Hey, can you, can you help me? Yeah. Um, if I am going to be in a setting with a couple of people that I know who are also women, I might reach out to them before it happens and say, Hey, how do we want to tackle this? What should we say? We brainstorm on how to go about it. And is that more work? Yes. But is it sometimes helpful? Yes. So yeah. I think and there's, necessary. it's totally necessary, but also I would say that part of the challenge that I sometimes see is there are many different mindsets about challenges that women face at work. And some people would prefer to ignore them, right? Mm -hmm. And pretend like those things don't exist. Some people would like to talk about them, but don't have the language or don't feel comfortable. And then, you know, some people are sitting there like really trying to figure it out, make a change, talk about it, be about it. And you have all these varying degrees and like spectrums of people and their experiences. And also my experience is obviously going to be different from a woman of color's experience, right? And so there's all these women out there that we need to be helping each other and being a community. And sometimes you have people who are kind of like detracting from that because things happen changed for the better, right? And so I think sometimes when things start to change for the better, people are like, done and dusted. We're all good to go. And we're not, right? Right. <laughs> right. Until we're paid equally, until we have all the same opportunities, like we're not done. And I feel really strongly about that. And so it is encouraging to me when, you know, other women come up to me and they're like, it's so cool that you have a role. I'm so glad that you're here, whatever it may be. And the interesting thing is I'm not even like at the top or by any means, right? But it's still helpful to them to see the path. Uh, I think one of the challenges is trying to identify the path and what it looks like and how to get there. Yeah. Um, having a, so, a vision for that. And like we talk about in hypnotherapy, having a known. Right. Right. And known in the subconscious mind, this is possible. Yes. You know, women are far less likely to apply for roles if we don't think that we meet all the criteria. Yeah. And that is 
It's some Such crazy statistic. It's mind-blowing. Men I... will apply for the role even if they only meet 60% of the requirements. It might but be women six will less, only it apply. It might be less than 60%. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's but like women shocking. will only apply if they if they actually meet 100% of the requirements. Right. And it's not a knock against men, right? It's just yeah. we've been conditioned differently, like you just said before. And we're not thinking, oh, it would be fine if I didn't know how to do these four things out of the 10 things. We're thinking like, oh no, like I I have to be able to do those 10 things and then 12 more. (laughs) In our sessions, we did work on public speaking, the fireside chats, tapping Mm -hmm. into intuition and our child work. What session or topic really helped you stand in front of a room and give a presentation and feel really comfortable and good about it? I would say you pushing me to think through what works for me instead of what works for everyone else, which shockingly or not, I was like, oh, I guess if I'm speaking, I can do it my way, which seems obvious, but didn't feel obvious to me that I could switch up the format or make something more casual when I need Right. Yeah. I'm going to kind of expand on that just yeah. to kind of fill everybody in. So Mackenzie does do a lot of presenting and oftentimes she's put in front of a podium and it's kind of like the old way and you've got the bullet points. And we were talking about a way for her to kind of step into that role that felt more intuitive and felt really good to her. And so I asked her when was the time she was speaking and she felt like it just flowed. And you shared with me that when you were doing the fireside chats, Mm -hmm. where it was more of a conversation. Yeah. And so we did visualization and hypnotherapy tapping into the fireside chat. She can treat every presentation like a fireside chat and people are going to feel that and be drawn to that and be so much more engaged. Yeah. I think that one was definitely really formative for me in just creating the next evolution of how I want to show up when I'm presenting, if that makes sense. And I also think that it's hard to say that anything wasn't just a huge contributor, right? Because even talking about, you know, the conditioning and what some people would call like good girl syndrome, right? And thinking about like the inner child work that we did, it's enlightening to realize that things that you don't, I guess to me, like when I used to think about good girl syndrome or being a yes person or wanting to be perfect. I had already identified that that was not working for me, (laughs) but I think I only kind of thought about how it wasn't working for me in my personal life. It didn't make the connection that it was also, it's so ingrained in you because that's what conditioning is, (laughs) that it is happening at work, right? Like, I guess that just never. It's impacting everything. (laughs) It is literally subconsciously filtering your, your behavior in the world everywhere. Yes. And I think that was certainly one of the aha moments. And then we never really talked about this a lot, but I do think one of my other aha moments, and I just remind myself of this all the time, is that wanting to feel accepted by other people is very normal and goes back to my cave woman brain, as you taught me. So I try to remind myself, okay, the reason I care so much about this is because I used to need to care about this to survive. Yes. I'm surviving either way. So that's okay. <laughs> and let it go. Yes. But the, I think it's like the more that you know and understand about how your mind works, right? And I yeah. like for me, it was so helpful that you met me where I was and you identified very quickly, okay, this girl is like 
these are my words. Maybe you thought this, but you never said it. <laughs> this girl's kind of a nerd. She's going to want to hear about the science of this, right? She's going to want me to diagram out what her brain looks like. And I was like, <laughs> yes, please. Um, but, you know, you met me where I was and you helped me understand so much about how my thought patterns were working that then I was able to think about them yeah. in a way that's constructive and helps me to then rein it back in. So the overthinking, the rain work, recognizing why I'm feeling a certain way and taking the time to just process it so that I can take the next steps is yeah. so helpful because it's like, oh, this is why this is happening. Now I can tackle it. Yes. The awareness piece. It's like, otherwise we're just walking through life completely on autopilot. Basically there's an eight-year-old making decisions, the little girl within us, all of those belief systems were solidified around that age. And right. that's automatically defining our lives and our actions. And when we flick the lights on, you can't unsee it. That's what's so cool about this work. And I'm so glad you said that because, and this is like part of my passion, like working with women like you, especially women in the tech industry who are, you said it, your words, want to know the neuroscience behind <laughs> yes. it, but it's so powerful. And there is so much science behind it. It's not just woo woo. And it is really about understanding the mechanics and you have the power to reprogram. Cause I, I do feel like there is kind of this underlying feeling a lot of times by the time someone gets to me, they've worked with a coach or maybe a therapist, or maybe they haven't worked with anybody and they've just sort of decided this is just the way that I am. I'm an overthinker and I'm busy and I can't really sit still. And I don't know how to meditate or calm my brain down. I don't have control over mm -hmm. my thoughts. This is just the way that I am. Right. And it's not the way that you are and you do actually have a say and you can change it. You can choose yes. how it's wired and it's so powerful and it changed my life. And it makes me so excited when I hear you say that because it's a tool for life. Now you have this for the rest of your life. You're going to see things pop up, but you know what to do. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You're going to know what to do because now you have the tool. Right. And for me, the way that I like to describe it is that you have given me the tools with which to make these changes, right? It's up to me at the end of the day, if I'm going to actually practice my hypnosis on my own, it's also up to me if I'm going to, you know, wake up and do my gratitude journal, but I have to do the work, but without you, I don't think I would have the same tools. And to be honest, I've actually been thinking about this recently. I have done talk therapy in the past and largely driven by the fact that I have some past trauma. And I was thinking how nice would it have been if I had known that this was an option that would have potentially helped me. I'm not knocking talk therapy at all. It's very valuable and there's certainly time and place for it. But I also think that it was a lot of time, right? Like years, years of time and money, right? Which at the time was like, wow, okay, we're doing this. Um, yeah. And like, <laughs> still would feel like that, right? Like I could be spending that on something else. But you know, it, it was so much time. It was so much money. And that time was painful as well, yeah. right? Everything about this has always been very 
enjoyable to me where we're working on hard stuff, but it feels so good Mm, after. And I'm not saying that it would have been the same if we were talking about trauma, maybe it wouldn't, right? But it, it certainly to me seems like hypnotherapy is such a good avenue for a number of things. This is one of them. And I know you say this all the time that people are always like, I wish I figured this out sooner. <laughs> but <laughs> I, mean, I, I wish I did too. I didn't find it until I was in my thirties. <laughs> Which is also funny too, because my mom used to do hypnotherapy and I just like kind of thought she was weird. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It lands when it lands. That's the thing. Why didn't I find it sooner? But it was there. I wasn't ready to receive it yet. I wasn't exactly consciously there yet for whatever reason things had to click into place and yeah yeah but and yeah I don't know I always say my mom was like a crystal witch before it was cool but of all the things that I picked up from her that wasn't one of them and I'm like (laughs) that's a real shame (laughs) listen to your mothers sometimes yep (laughs) there don't let them condition you though yeah right it's in balance (laughs) (laughs) question everything but also listen I (laughs) guess Oh, wow. So I actually love what you said too, about how this felt good, even though some of the work was hard, it always felt like coming out of each session, you felt lighter, hopefully. Is that kind of correct? And I do that on purpose because creating change in our lives and our behavior has everything to do with how we feel. And we can train our brains to feel better. That's why I have you do the gratitude journal because We want to teach our brains to feel good because some of us have been so stuck in a place of fight or flight or panic or anxiety or stress that we don't even know what it feels like to feel good. And so it is really important that even when we do the harder stuff, I try to bring it around and end with something feel good. Mm -hmm. Also from a behavioral standpoint at the most subconscious level, we want to move towards what feels good and away from what feels bad. So if we're trying to actually make forever change, a change in your life that's going to stick, it has to be somewhat pleasurable. If it feels like punishment, it's not going to stick. Right. So I'm glad you felt that as we were doing the work. Cause I know I talk a lot on the podcast about processing emotions and going there. And you've even said yourself, some of these emotions, you wouldn't have wanted to admit that you felt at some point in your life, but now you're like, oh, it's not that bad when I actually recognize it and allow it and move through the process. It's not so bad. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's really about being able to turn towards things, but it doesn't have to be punishment. It can be really enlightening and empowering and, um, yeah. So that's cool that you shared that. Definitely. Yeah, of course. I think it's like the mind version of Pilates. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I'm putting that on my website. I'm changing. You leave feeling like so good, but like you also did just like work out and tone your muscles and like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So you actually came across me on LinkedIn, which I think is so cool. The algorithm doing its job. And I'm curious what actually was the tipping point? What ultimately drove you to finally take the plunge? So I saw something on LinkedIn, which is like 
so fascinating to me that yeah. the algorithm does work sometimes. Yeah. I'm not going to say hundred percent. I can't figure Don't... it out for the life of me, but I'm so <laughs> glad it worked in this one case. Yeah. Which is funny. Cause like, I'm not a huge LinkedIn person. I don't really social media in general, but I guess it's a little different than social media in the sense that it's meant to be professional. Um, so I came across it and I sort of was like, huh, interesting. And I think I was like, in the moment, just sort of like, do I do it? Do I not do it? Do I do it? Do I not do it? And I was definitely feeling like it probably isn't for me. It's probably not going to work. Why, why bother to be honest with you? (laughs) But there was this other part of me that was like, but what if it does work? (laughs) And also this is funny, but I think it said something about like you had limited spots. And so I was like, who knows if I'll even get a spot. Yeah. And also if I meet this person and I'm like, absolutely not, no way, then what have I lost? Yeah. So I think ultimately what was motivating me at the time to even consider (laughs) trying something new, I was just feeling very, I guess, stuck for lack of a better word. And I know where I am in my career, my life, right? I know where I want to be, but I feel like I'm somehow getting in my own way of getting there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that, I think, is I've consistently received feedback, right? Like, I'm I'm not shy to share share this, but like, I've consistently received feedback in my year-end evaluations, et cetera, that I should be more confident from multiple very smart people who I respect. And I'm like, I know, but like, I don't know. I don't know how, right? Like... (laughs) I am who I am. And I know the things that I know, and I know that I know them, but somehow when I'm saying I'm in front of a group of people, all of a sudden it seems like I don't know. I'm not sure. And I want to seem sure. I want to seem sure for me. I want to seem sure for the people that work for me. I want to seem sure for the people that I work for, right? Just feel like that would be better. It would be better if I felt confident when I was, when I was doing my job. (laughs) Um, And so that was one thing. And then I think overthinking also was just another thing. Like I was like, how do I just stop doing that? Because it's a vicious cycle, right? You're overthinking and then you're overthinking about overthinking. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, wow, this has really spiraled. And how do you feel about overthinking now? I feel like it is still something that I have to be aware of. Right. But I now have tools with which to combat it. And I will say that as you use those tools, you overthink less frequently. So it's not as though overthinking just doesn't exist for me anymore. And I'm just moving through life in a way easier way than all you other people out there. No, (laughs) I still overthink, but I have the tools with which to bring myself back to where I was supposed to be or say, it's time to be sleeping. Let's sleep instead. And we'll do that tomorrow, which is really important. (laughs) Sleep is probably more important than any other thing, right? And so you got to get the sleep. Otherwise, who cares if you're confident? You might be saying the wrong thing. (laughs) But that's the foundation of confidence and having control over your mind and feeling more in tune and confident in your voice. A good night's sleep, right? It all comes back to sleep. Which is yeah. also why I love hypnosis because I, that was the number one thing for me and so many of my clients is sleep is the first thing that improves. Yeah. And it yeah. did almost like immediately. Um, so those were like the two major things that I was 
hoping to get out of it. I definitely got those two major things and I got more, right? And like I said before, it's bringing you the tools so that you can manage these things on your own. Yeah. It's not like, I mean, I would love to talk to you every week forever, but it's not like <laughs> right. I need to be working with Brooke every single week for the rest of my life in order to gain benefits from this, which mm-hmm. I think is also like a really huge and important part of the value of what you offer is that I now know what to do, right? And I certainly have had talk therapists give me coping mechanisms or homework or things like that. And those things have certainly helped, but I think there's a difference between a coping mechanism and a tool because a tool to me is more actionable. It's more proactive and it's actually helping me change my behavior and Mm -hmm. getting at the root cause of the thing instead of helping me not feel so bad about the thing that's happening. These tools that I've learned from you are things that help me improve as time goes on right so less overthinking more confidence and like that just keeps going it doesn't stop yes and that is a big foundation of my work and the program that I put together and why I put my program together in the three-month structure because I want you to have the tools and the recordings and I want you to have a skill so now you don't really need me anymore I mean I'm always here but you don't need me to move forward. And you can take those skills and you can apply them at various stages throughout your life. And that's what's so, I think, powerful about the work. So for those of you listening, Mackenzie actually really inspired me to create a program that was specifically for women in tech. I actually realized so many of my clients actually were already in tech. They might be in marketing and HR or different areas. Maybe they're not necessarily coders, right? or product leads, but they're working for tech companies. And so many of my clients were experiencing very similar challenges when they came to me, the overthinking, the being outnumbered, having a hard time getting the mic, having a hard time speaking up, finding their voice. And it was actually a few conversations that Mackenzie and I had that inspired me to create my three-month Calm Edge program specifically for women in tech. So if that's something that you are interested in, if you're listening, just click the link below. You can learn a little more and schedule a free consultation. I have one more question for Mackenzie. What is your best piece of advice for women looking to grow and get to the next level in tech? Hypnotherapy. (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God, I didn't tell her to say that. (laughs) She didn't. Um, I, no, I mean, honestly, I think make sure that you are showing up in a way that makes you proud and feels purposeful to you because otherwise getting to the next level or whatever doesn't mean anything and you won't be happy with it anyways, right? One of the things that we talked about a little bit is what is my mission or I think of it more as my purpose, right? Which to me is different than getting promoted or making more money. Do I want those things? Of course, but I will be happy doing what I'm doing as long as I'm fulfilling my purpose. And so that to me is helpful in ensuring that I show up every day in a way that I'm proud of, 
that's beneficial for me, that's beneficial for my team. And it honestly ends up being beneficial for like wherever you work. And so I truly believe that the best thing that you can do is identify what is your purpose? Why do you do what you do? And those two things can be different, right? I told you before why I like product management. I like problem solving. I like building things, right? That's why I do this particular job. But my purpose now in this job as a leader is to help grow new leaders and help women and help people who otherwise might not have a voice or a seat at the table, right? Whether I get promoted or not, as long as I'm doing that, I'm going to find value in what I'm doing. And it could be at any company doing any job, right? If I decide like, you know what, I'm tired of product management. My purpose will follow me. And so I would say, find your purpose, live it and think about how that impacts your brand. Think that about how you can use that to be your best version of yourself. If you're being your best version of yourself at your job, so many other things will follow because you will find your voice. You will be confident. You will be able to do the thing, whatever it is, right? And that probably sounds cheesy, but I really think that if you have that kind of higher intent, then other things do follow. Oh, I'm almost choked (laughs) up a little bit. (laughs) On that note, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Learn how to calm an overactive brain and tap into your zone of genius. The Calm Edge one-on-one is a three-month personalized hypno-coaching experience that I designed to teach you how to rewire your thought patterns and reframe your emotional responses so you can fully leverage your strengths and unlock the influential leader within you. To learn more, click the link below and schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation call and let's chat.